And a very good afternoon on this Thursday. It is August the 27th. Today's big headline, obviously the NBA postponing games last night after the Milwaukee Bucks led a a boycott over the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Now, announced within the last hour, playoff games scheduled for today, including the Raps, the Raptors in their matchup against the Boston Celtics, they have been postponed as well, but we are hearing that players do want to eventually resume the season perhaps as early as tomorrow. Baju C. Bain is the producer of the docu-series Six Degrees of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he joins us now for more on this on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Baju, good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. All right, sports and activism have a very long history. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar famously, of course, sat out the 1968 Olympic Games. Can you tell us a bit about that just before we move forward, maybe kind of look back a little bit here? Sure. Uh, There was a proposed boycott by all the black athletes and other athletes that were willing to participate to uh, bypass the 1968 Mexico City Games. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lou Alcindor of UCLA, the uh, college basketball superstar center decided not to try out for the U.S. Olympic team in 68 and uh, in favor of working for a youth program in Harlem uh, around literacy and publishing for uh, for young adults called HARU. And is what we have seen uh, recently from current day NBA players, do you think it's a, an extension of what uh, Kareem did uh, back then and uh, other athletes? Well, in some ways it is, and in some ways it's a reaction to the pandemic and the current times and people being uh, really homebound for several months at a time and being more focused on these issues, not only in the U.S., but around the world the last four or five months. Uh, A little bit of it is a a child of that or an outgrowth of that. I would say it obviously predates the 68 Olympics because, as you know, the first athlete in a major North American pro team sport to sit out a game because of racial discrimination was Elgin Baylor. And that dates back to 1959 when he was a rookie. All right. And uh, famously, of course, uh, and I'm wondering why we don't see uh, athletes take political stands uh, more often because uh, famously uh, Michael Jordan said that, uh, well, that's because Republicans uh, buy sneakers too. And obviously the money, it's as big as it's uh, ever been uh, by you, but uh, today's athletes and what we're seeing from these NBA players over the last few days I mean, they are really undeterred when it comes to using their voice. So what do you think it is that that's changed? Well, one, they're all living in relatively close quarters the last several weeks because of the uh, finishing of the season and the qualification for the playoffs. So they're not in separate cities and flying to different cities and things like that. So they're able to, to, uh, to meet in person and convene and discuss these issues in a way they wouldn't necessarily be physically able to do or by Zoom uh, were there not a pandemic. The other reason is just because of the, uh, again, the laser coverage of the last few attacks or uh, assaults, uh, whether they be by someone having a knee on uh, George Floyd's neck to barging in somebody's house and shooting them in their home. In the case of Breonna Taylor, you know, they're not all shootings. They all are either murders or a uh, young man in uh, Wisconsin is currently paralyzed. So, because there have been a series of these events that's, that are during uh, the pandemic, the ball players, just like the rest of us, are, um, 
are more focused and more uh, less distracted by other issues than they normally would be in a, in a different time. And also athletes, not all athletes, obviously, but athletes' voices around the world, whether they be in football or soccer or uh, uh, women's pro basketball, have somewhat shifted in terms of sensitivity around getting uh, federal response, judicial response around these issues than in Jordan's heyday because of, well, one for one reason, social media and the athletes have their own platforms. Yeah, for sure, uh, without a doubt. You know, I was really uh, struck earlier today, uh, Jared Kushner, who is, of course, the president's uh, son-in-law and advisor. He's making some uh, headlines uh, by Jude today for saying that NBA players are, quote, fortunate to be able to take a night off. And this is what your take on that, and is that not somewhat backward thinking? Because the fact that these NBA players are willing to walk away from something that is so important to them, something that they've worked their entire lives uh, for, to play in the NBA, to compete for the Larry O'Brien uh, trophy. I mean, shouldn't that speak loudly, uh, very loudly? To your earlier question, the question that you asked right before this, it's actually probably in some ways more of a sacrifice if you if you have a lot to gain, whether that be financially, whether that be in terms of um, product spokespersonship or sponsorship, whether that be in terms of the vitriol that you're going to be a uh, recipient of from fans and, and, and from, some, uh, from some fringes of the media. And, and the reason I say this is because Kushner's statement assumes that athletes like D. Brown and John Henson and LeBron James and um, Serena Williams and people like that haven't been victims. Uh, James Blake, the tennis player, have not been victims of these incidents themselves because they make a lot of money. When indeed they actually have personally been victims of some of these incidents themselves, whether it be, again, from fans in the stands, whether they be in terms of uh, email bullying and hateful mail, death threats. Uh, we saw what happened when Tiger Woods first won the Masters and Fuzzy Zeller made the statement he made. So just because a person has money, that doesn't protect them from these statements and it doesn't make them white. Yeah. Do you think what we're witnessing uh, right now, what we have seen from the NBA, does it have the ability to truly uh, change things? And what we're witnessing right now, what does it uh, say to you about the power of sport and society? Well, it demonstrates that athletes are viewing their leverage differently. Even the unpaid athletes, uh, like the college athletes, especially with the ones that play at the major U.S. colleges, are looking at their leverage in a different light because everything is shut down. Everything has been down for, for three or four months. So since these things like the film industry, concerts, uh, going to movies in person, um, most of air travel the first few months have been down, People are reassessing the terms at which they which they demand for reentry and the terms which they demand for uh, full participation. Let's say there is a conventional NBA season next year or conventional film and television production or conventional concert tours. The people that have the to, to use your term platform platforms or the voice are trying to leverage it to speak for the many, such that. If they do decide to participate fully again when things return to some sense of normalcy, they'll only do it under the terms that these attorney generals, that the police chiefs, uh, that the people elected to Congress, that the mayors consider these uh, 
reforms that the athletes deem necessary. Baju, I really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thank you so much uh, for the perspective and the uh, conversation, an important one, no doubt. Well, thank you again for having me on. There's Baju C. Bain, the producer of the docuseries Six Degrees of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And again, if you're just uh, tuning in, Raps and Celtics postponed along with all of the other NBA playoff games for another day today. But there are reports that the uh, players do want to continue on with the uh, season, and it could resume as early as uh, Friday tomorrow. Okay, as we mentioned, Hurricane Laura made landfall in Louisiana around 2 this morning. And according to officials, it was packing more power than Katrina, with winds gusting upwards of 240 kilometers an hour. It has since been downgraded from a Category 4 to a Category 2 to now a tropical storm. And joining us now for the very latest is professional storm chaser George Karunas is on the line and joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. George, good afternoon. Glad to have you on. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, can you first of all sort of quantify this storm force as it came to shore early this morning? I know some officials were calling this uh, unsurvivable. How do you quantify a Category 4 hurricane? Yeah, so it's a particular hurricane strengthened incredibly quickly. Uh, it actually took the forecasters a little bit off guard in that it uh, started uh, about 24 hours before the hurricane made landfall. It was just barely a Category 1 storm. And then right before it made landfall in that short period of time, it uh, did one of the most intense, a uh, quick intensification of a hurricane on record. Not, not the most, but one of the most. And uh, was just shy of Category 5 with wind speeds approaching 150 miles an hour. So imagine driving at double highway speed with your face out the window in in driving rain for hours and hours and hours. So that gives you an idea, at least a physical sense, of what the wind speeds would be like. Yeah, and not only did this storm intensify in a big hurry, but it's been downgraded, I I think, in a relatively short space of time. Uh, Does that make uh, Laura a bit of an anomaly here to go from a, uh, you know, category two or three upwards to almost a five and back down to a two and now a tropical storm in such a short period of time? Well, certainly the intensification is unusual, but it weakening so quickly is totally normal. That is exactly what we expect. The fuel that these storms feed off of is warm seawater. And as soon as the hurricane starts to make landfall, they start to weaken immediately. I've experienced this in dozens of hurricanes myself. It's very normal. And as soon as the hurricane gets inland, it's going to start to weaken very, very dramatically. The interesting thing about this unsurvivable storm surge that they were talking about is um, how it is similar to Katrina in that it was a very powerful storm. But Katrina was strong for a long time, so it was able to push a lot of seawater inland. Because um, Laura intensified so rapidly, it didn't have the opportunity to build up enough momentum to push that lump of seawater, that storm surge that does so much damage, inland. So we were expecting storm surge up in the 20-foot range, but I believe the the highest measured was only about 10 or 12 feet or so. So it, it actually could have been much worse had it remained stronger for longer. All right, so folks in Louisiana dodged a bit of a bullet then? Well, if you uh, live in places like Lake Charles or Cameron, you wouldn't say that you (laughs) dodged a bullet, but it certainly wasn't the worst-case scenario, as bad as it was. And we're still trying to figure out how bad it was. The storm is ongoing. It's along the state line now between Louisiana and Arkansas, and as you mentioned, it's it's rapidly weakening, but it may be... uh, 
several days before we fully understand the full extent. People are just only able to get into these heavily affected areas when the roads are cleared, and that could take a long time with thousands of downed trees and power lines. Yeah. George, what do you make of some of the footage that you've seen come out of the uh, area so far? Give us your take as an experienced, a professional uh, storm chaser. I mean, we've seen a video I'm looking at on my phone uh, right now of literally like sides of buildings, thanks to the uh, wind and the sheeting rain just being ripped off. Yeah, that's very typical for a storm like this. These uh, major hurricanes, anything that's category three or higher is considered a major hurricane. That type of widespread damage is common, especially on the right-hand side of a hurricane. Um, the left-hand side is usually weaker than the right, so that's where you're going to see the most damage. But looking at some of the video that I've seen today, I was expecting it to be worse as much as I, uh, I haven't seen all the footage, of course. Um, but during Katrina, it was so devastating and so widespread. Uh, we had boats and buoys from the harbor a mile inland, and we had uh, an entire casino barge that was lifted by the waves and dropped into its own parking lot beside the spot where I rode out the storm. And I haven't seen anything on a wide scale like that yet, but I'm sure there's going to be more footage coming in. And I, and I hope that everyone was able to evacuate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know there was uh, warnings out there uh, telling people do not stay behind. And uh, if you do, uh, you do it at your own risk. Uh, because not only is it the storm surge, as I understand, uh, George, but it's afterwards, the, the aftermath. And they were warning uh, residents that you could be without power, never mind for days or weeks, but maybe even months. It takes that long, obviously, to uh, assess the damage, get in there and eventually uh, rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. With with a devastating storm like this, there will actually be power crews waiting before the storm even arrives. They'll be one or two states away, just waiting in the wings. And as soon as it's safe for them to do so, they'll get in there immediately. But it still is a process that takes a long time. And so, yeah, you could be without power for days, weeks, possibly months. And of course, no air conditioning. You're dealing with hot, oppressive humidity in southern Louisiana. Uh, no refrigeration, so there's all kinds of issues. And uh, so if you were able to get out, it's good to stay away until it's safe to return, which, as you mentioned, could absolutely, it could be some time. There's one community there along the coast called Cameron, and it's a very small, tiny town right on the coast. And it has been hit so many times. It was devastated during Hurricane Rita in 2008. It was devastated again by Ike or sorry, 2005 and then 2008 with uh, Hurricane Ike. And then again, it was in the eye of the storm last night. It took a direct hit. This little town can't get a break. Mm. Certainly hoping for the best for everybody uh, there and anyone affected by uh, Laura. George, really appreciate the time with us this afternoon, and thanks so much for lending your expertise. Thank you so much. And we're uh, only about halfway through the hurricane season so far, and we're at the peak of it now, so stay alert.